Luke chapter 1, this morning, we're just going to look at one verse as we just focus in the month of December uh, on various vignettes, pictures of the, uh, it's not really called the Christmas story in the Bible, but we call it that, focus around the birth and incarnation of Christ. And so we're just looking at some different things on Sunday morning. You know, I always remember as a kid, and this is something generationally many of you will remember, and some of you who uh, are uh, younger have no concept of the joy of getting the Christmas catalogs. <laughs> and I remember Montgomery Ward, doesn't even exist anymore. Of course, Sears doesn't exist. Spiegel. Um, what was the other big one? Pennies. Oh yeah, pennies. And and there was a bunch of there was a bunch of others, little ones, but those were the big ones. And and the joy and excitement of going through those uh, catalogs and marking and circling and scratching out. I don't really want this. I want this on page you know, 54, and uh, I think it was Sears, I remember they always had like in certain of their big items, they would always have good, better, and best, and I figured if I zeroed in on the middle one, uh, my Santa was more than likely to hear that, but there were a few times that I remember wanting something, and uh, you know, we were middle class, and uh, Money was tight, and I remember sometimes I would preface my asking and saying to, uh, you know, certainly I knew who Santa was in our house, uh, if I could just get this one item, I will not ask for another thing. In fact, this could be birthday and Christmas for the next five years. You know, you're just pulling out all the stops negotiating with your Saint Nick, and uh, you know, and what would happen is you would get that, and then a few months later, a new version would come out, or uh, something else would get your attention, or it would get broken, and you moved on, and, and like a lot of things that we learn in adult life, is those things that we put so much stock in giving us a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, do not do it. Do not do it. We think, if I can just do this, if I can just live here, if I can just have this job, whatever it is, it never seems to deliver the satisfaction that we desire. The Bible tells us that a, generally, uh, that a genuinely meaningful and satisfying life comes from a life that is lived in the favor of and the blessing of God. That's a truth that just goes all through Scripture. And I didn't say a life that never has any troubles, never has any problems, is always wealthy and healthy. I didn't say that. But a life that is lived with the favor and blessing of God. You know, the psalmist, Psalm 1, in fact, reiterates this truth. Psalm 1 begins, blessed, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, 
whose delight is in the law of the Lord or the word of God and who meditates on his law or his word day and night. Verse 3, that person, say that person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. A major figure of the Christmas story is certainly Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now we know Joseph, her husband, was the earthly stepfather, we could say. He was not the biological father. The virgin Mary was a young woman who was uniquely blessed by God. She lived Psalm 1. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse 48 and 49, the passage of her Magnificat, where she gives praise for the miracle that is about to take place in her life. Luke 1, verse 48 says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What a great thing to know. That through all future generations, those who come after will be blessed because of your life. And today I want to focus on Luke chapter 1, verse 53. One verse this morning, and I'm going to split it in half. And the big picture, if we could say that, of Luke chapter 1, verse 53, and the title of today's message is How to Receive Good Things from God. Do you want to receive good things from God? Do you want to be blessed of God? Well, Mary's going to give us some insight briefly this morning. And the big picture to kind of summarize where we're going to go is this, is that God satisfies, God satisfies spiritually, the spiritually hungry with good things. He satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things. And yet, He sends the self-satisfied away empty-handed. What a contrast. But that's what chapter 1, verse 53 says that we'll look at in just a minute. And Mary is really quoting or, or reciting the Greek portion of the Psalm 107, which is called the Septuagint. Some of you are familiar with that term. When Psalm 107, verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 53. I'm not sure where I put it in the order there. But Luke chapter 1, verse 53, she says at the end of this praise that she's giving, she says this, and this is the passage that we'll uh, use this morning. He, God, has filled the hungry with good things and the rich... He is sent away empty. Father, we pray that the word today will encourage our hearts. God will serve as an encouragement and reminder that, God, you bless those who are hungry spiritually. Those, God, that desire you and want you, that are hungry and thirsty for more of you, that, God, you will meet us, Lord, at that place. Lord, let this be an encouragement to your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at this principle that we see here in chapter 1, verse 53, and I want to look at 
the two halves here. The first half in verse 53 is that God satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things. God is the one that satisfies the spiritually hungry with good things. Chapter 1, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. That just comes right out of the passage. Mary, of course, we know, is not speaking about material blessings. She's not speaking about riches and a new house and all those things. But she's speaking metaphorically and speaking about the spiritually hungry, the spiritually thirsty that contrast that with those that are self-satisfied or see themselves as not needing anything. They're rich in and of themselves. Mary saw herself as a spiritually needy person. Now, some churches, primarily in the Roman Catholic Church, teach the uh, concept that is not taught in Scripture that Mary was sinless, that Mary was born without sin. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, she says in that same chapter in verse 47 that as she's praying, she says that my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, Mary needed the sacrifice and atonement of Christ, her son, her earthly son, if we could say that, and certainly can. Uh, But she needed the atonement. She needed redemption and forgiveness of her sin. So she's not in any way speaking of this from any sense of of, of spiritual abundance, but she's speaking it as a person who is in humility. She's speaking it as a hungry, spiritually hungry person that recognizes that God blesses those who are hungry after Him. Notice four things, and there's a listener's guide that was in your bulletin and makes it a little easier to follow along. Notice a couple of things, four things in particular, as we pull this out of this first half of verse 53, and that is the, one, the ones that God satisfies are marked with a spiritual hunger. I mean, look, if you're not hungry, you won't be fed. If you're not spiritually desirous of God, then He'll just leave you alone. He won't fill those who feel like they're already full. In fact, you remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, in that section there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, He said, blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, they shall be satisfied. You see, righteousness is what God has. Righteousness is what we do not have apart from Christ. We have a righteousness problem. And see, the blessing of God that comes with experiencing that relationship with Christ is twofold. We are justified because of the atoning work of Christ, that that baby that we picture in a manger, that that baby would live and go at 33 and a half years, that would be crucified and die, not because he was a martyr, not because things got out of hand, but no, because it was determined by the pre-counsel of God that he would be the eternal sacrifice of his people. And we also not only enjoy justification, but because of the blessing of God, we have sanctification. That means that as Christians, we are growing progressively to be more and more 
like the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is more and more applied into our life. We're, we're not the same. We are saved, but we are also being saved. Now, I'm not saying we're earning salvation, but salvation, we are one time justified, but the outworking of that justification, the outworking of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus is something that we grow in every day in a daily life. And that means that in one sense, I am satisfied in Christ, and yet there is a dissatisfaction of where I am today. Does that make sense? Yes, I am I'm as saved as I will ever be saved, but yet there is something innate in my heart, in my life, in my soul that yearns to know God more than I did five seconds ago, one day ago, one week ago. And some folks just kind of coast on what was done a year ago, two years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and there's been no growth. I'm not saying they're not believers. But the growth, the outworking, and the blessing of God and walking in the blessing and favor of God is something that we should have a holy dissatisfaction every day in our life. That should be our goal. You know, some people, even some that profess Christ, they are not interested in the righteousness that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6. They want happiness. God make me happy. I've listened to people that justified divorce by saying, I just can't believe that God doesn't want me to be happy. No, He wants you to be obedient. He wants you to be holy. See, happiness versus the joy. The Bible talks about the joy of the Lord. You see, the joy of the Lord is not dependent on the circumstances that I lean into that give me joy. In fact, when Paul and others write about the joy of God, they're usually writing it from a pit. They're writing it from prison. They're writing it from suffering and hardship. But what they're declaring is, is that my outward circumstances in no way destroy the joy of the soul. But see, our culture wants to be happy. We want to be happy, and we want to be happy now. We're not after the holiness of God. In fact, Paul even recognized this in Romans 3.11 when he says that there are none who seek after God. Sometimes we say, well, everybody's seeking God. They're just trying to find it in their own way. Well, they may be seeking a God. They may be seeking the benefits of what they hope uh, their God will give them. But the Bible says they're not truly seeking the God. Yahweh. They're not seeking God because to come to Him, you come to Him on His terms and not your terms. And when that God doesn't justify and write off everything that you say, this is going to make me happy, and you have to come and bow the knee, you know, people aren't interested in that. A hungry person is focused on their hunger. It's not a luxury to satisfy your hunger. It's a matter of survival. I'm afraid even in my own life, my hunger for God, I don't see that as a matter of survival. Oh God, increase my hunger for you. But notice something else. Is that God alone, in verse 53, God alone is the one that can satisfy our hunger. Mary declares, He 
has filled the hungry with good things. He, God, He is the source. We want to be satisfied. We want to be filled. It comes from God and God alone. Paul declared in quoting one of the Greek writers, but yet applied it as a truth of Scripture when he said, in Him we live and move and have our very being of existence. God is the source of all good. God is the source of all blessing. So if we are going to find fulfillment, you've heard me joke about people that go through these midlife crises. I've been through five of them, just by the way, okay? Probably will go through a few more. But they, you know, want to go find themselves. No, you don't. You don't want to find yourself because there's nothing in yourself worth finding. You see, the, the world culture says look inward. The Scripture says look upward. You cannot know who you really are unless you understand who you are through the eyes and lens of the one that made you and created you. Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. While we were yet in our mother's womb, he wove us together. Formed our days before there were any. You see, to seek comfort and to seek satisfaction elsewhere is always going to be disappointing. Isaiah, the prophet that we quote a lot at this time of year, wrote in Isaiah 55, verse 2 and 3, Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food? And again, he's not talking about literal food per se, but why do you pay for food that does you no good? The prophet says through the Lord, listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Verse 3, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. That's the Lord appealing to say, look, why are you wasting your money on things that will not satisfy you? Buy from me. Come to me. Hungry of heart. David when he was being chased in the wilderness, maybe either by Saul or the rebellious son Absalom. But he wrote some wonderful psalms and prayers that, of songs, but psalms that we have today. I don't know about you, but if I was running for my life, I probably wouldn't be writing poetry and songs. And if I did, my top ten hit would be, God, get me out of here, right? That would be, you know, my... Top, top hit, right? But David, in the midst of this, of being chased uh, and literally being hunted down, wrote these wonderful words in Psalm 63, verse 1. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched, and weary land where there is no wonder. Water. Verse 5. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with the songs of joy. Just like Paul in Philippians. They wrote that not from sitting on the mountaintop. They wrote that in the deepest, darkest valley of despair. 
when circumstances were not contributing to their happiness. Lord, Lord, I thirst for you. You see, our challenge as believers, and of course as unbelievers, but as believers in particular, is the temptation to always seek satisfaction through illegitimate means. And we chase after and think that, you know, again, I'm not going to go through the list. You have your list, I have mine. That isn't what is important. In fact, you know, Satan knows the strategy better than anybody. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, was there in that place of spiritual battle with the enemy? And Satan came with three very pointed, designed uh, temptations, all meant for Jesus to act illegitimately outside the boundaries of obedience to God. Said, hey, if you're really hungry, take matters in your own hands, turn these stones to bread. Jesus said, look, you came to save people, why waste your time with all these losers, these 12 losers you're hanging with? Now, he doesn't say that, I'm saying that, because the enemy likes to craft all sorts of temptations around, hey, remember in the garden, hey, the Lord knows when you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, God's holding out on you. We think that sometimes, don't we? That God is withholding happiness from me. So we learn that maybe God knows more about what I need than I do. And so Satan tells Jesus, look, just leap off the pinnacle of the temple. The Bible says, you know the devil can quote scripture. The Bible says that he will send his angels to catch you. And when they see you, coming down, carried by angels, then everybody will know your Messiah. No cross, no suffering. And then the last one, just acknowledge me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. See, the point is, is that Satan will always make offers for you to satisfy your deepest longings through illegitimate means. The devil, as one preacher said, the devil always pays in counterfeit money. For the wages of sin is death. But also in this is a third aspect in the first part of verse 53 is that God satisfies. He's the one that fills the hungry. And just in verse 53, he has filled. It's interesting that that same word that is used there is the same word that is used in the Gospels when Jesus, in John 6, when Jesus fed the multitude in John 6, the 5,000. Remember it says that, that after everyone was filled, they picked up the baskets of the leftovers. Everyone ate till they were satisfied. They were full. They were satisfied. They were content. You see, they, again, there was the Feeling that only God does. God brings the forgiveness. We have forgiveness of sin. We enjoy the peace of God. We have the joy of the Spirit. We're ready to meet the Lord in the air. All that we can say with my life is I'm satisfied. I'm ready to meet the Lord. And yet, as I said earlier, 
We say, you know, there's so much, God, I want to know you more. You see, knowing God, knowing God and experiencing God through His Word, through prayer, whatever it is, you realize that's the only thing that you get to take into heaven, which you have and experience with Him today. God satisfies the last part of this first half of verse 53 is that God satisfies He satisfies the hungry with good things. I was thinking of the scripture Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, He said, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent, a snake? If you then, who are evil, meaning sinful human beings, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more to God who is perfect, your Father who is perfect, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give, what? Good things to those who... Ask of him. Some folks say, well, I'm, a, I'm hesitant to ask God for this, that, and the other. As if God exists to trick you and to manipulate your life and to make your life miserable. He says, how much more if you know in your sinfulness how to give good things to your children, how much more does the Holy Eternal Father know how to give good things to his children. But notice what it's conditioned on to those who what? Ask. Ask him. You have not because you ask not. Paul spoke about being satisfied with the good things of God in that marvelous passage when he wrote in Philippians 3 where he was comparing his past to the present, he said, yes, and everything, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For His sake, for His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. I become right with God through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith or trust. And look at verse 10. I, here is Paul. You think Paul, he wrote the book of Romans. He wrote most of the New Testament letters. You would think Paul would say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to chill a little while. I've written some tremendous, received and wrote some tremendous revelation to the Christian church. But here we have him in Philippi, in jail, saying, verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Oh, but pastor, I hope you do or you shouldn't be pastoring our church. You don't know Christ. Oh, I want to know Christ more than I knew Him a nanosecond ago. I'm dissatisfied. I'm hungry. God, increase my hunger. You see, friendship with God and Christ 
is what truly satisfies the soul. And maybe you're here this morning and you do not know the genuine friendship and relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ. Mary, in this verse, affirms that God fills and satisfies the hungry soul with good things. You've heard it said. It's attributed to many people. You can just quote me. I'll, t- I'll claim it. No, don't do that. This one life will soon be passed, and only that which is done for Christ will last. But notice the second part of verse 53, the second half. That's pretty positive. But this is negative. Same verse. Second part is we see that God sends the self-satisfied away empty. Self-satisfied. He sends them away empty. Luke 1.53, and I'm going to, the second, read it out of the New Living Translation. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. You know, our order of things, that seems to be out of order because our concept is that the hungry, the needy, are the ones that are empty. And the rich are the ones that are filled and satisfied and happy and joyful. But if you read the New Testament for five minutes, you'll discern and understand that the Gospels present the kingdom of God upside down to the ways of this world and culture. You want to seek to be first? You go last. Think about all the things that Jesus said that were opposite of the way they think. You want to be rich? You become poor. Opposite. The hungry are made full. But notice, notice a few things as we round this out in the second part of verse 53. Of how in this second part of the passage, God sends the self-satisfied away empty. Notice that God sends away the self-satisfied. Mary who said this, Mary, means that those who have no need of God in their life, there's really no room. There's no room and they're in. There's no room or need. They think, you know what, I don't really need this religious stuff. I don't need what you're selling. I don't need any of this. I like my life just the way it is. And you know what? God will... Let you, let you keep doing that. Because there's no, there's no need for God to fill any part of my life. There's no need. I've already decided that my life is good as it is and there's no hunger. Listen, if you're not hungry, you're not going to eat. You're not hungry. You have no desire to be fed. Now, I'm not sure who Mary was talking about. Maybe she was referring to maybe those of the religious elite of the day, the religious leaders of the day that... Perhaps we're the proud, the satisfied. Remember when the news of Jesus' birth was, was, you know, was beginning to percolate there in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and Herod was disturbed by the news, and the religious leaders, they were just disinterested. But then you had some shepherds that were delighted. Why? Because they were hungry. To experience and know God. Think about it. 
You know, when God picked a family for his Messiah to be born in, he didn't really choose a family that we might would have chosen for ourselves. He didn't go to the educated, the wealthy, the elite and find somebody there. No, he went to a poor unknown carpenter and his wife in Nazareth. Those who were the wealthy of this world were overlooked and he went to those that were hungry for him. Here's a, tr- here's a principle. The surest way to receive nothing from God is to be satisfied with where you're at. You see, the Lord, unlike those Pharisees and those leaders, the religious folks that really saw no place for Jesus in their life, you see, Jesus, how many times did Jesus, it says in the gospel that he said he knew what was in their heart, discerning their thoughts afar off, which is an indicator of his divinity, that he understood what was in their heart. The Bible says that the Lord does not see as a man sees, but the Lord looks on the outward appearance. See, God saw within Mary someone that was hungry for God. And God says, that's a person I want to bless. That's the kind of person I want to pour myself into because they want me. There was a village in Jesus' day that when the disciples went in there, they weren't interested and rejected the gospel. Jesus told them to wipe their feet when they left, symbolic of saying, let them go. They're not interested. They're not hungry. Some places, there was very few miracles he could do there. Why? Because there was some limitation in Jesus? No, because there was not a receptivity of faith and interest in their life. You say, well, God, why don't you do more miracles? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Maybe it's because we're too self-satisfied and full of ourselves. You see, the American church is rich, fat, and content in being of itself. God is looking some, for some spiritually poor, hungry, needy people that want him. They don't want all the trappings. They don't want all the stuff. You see, Revelation chapter 3, remember there in Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven churches listed there. The very last one is Laodicea. In Laodicea in chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord says that they say among themselves, in Revelation 3, 17, it says, and you say, you say, this is the way you think of yourself, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. That's what they think of themselves. But he says, but that's not the analysis that I give. Not realizing, he says, that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Not realizing the reality of your true situation. You see, five years ago, I think today, I had a heart attack. Had three stents put in. The day before was a Sunday. I felt pretty good. Felt fine. Felt normal. Monday morning, felt like I had some really bad indigestion. Probably that barbecue my wife was trying to kill me with the day before. 
Every time I go by Bubba Q's, I, I break out in sweats. I said, that's, that's the place you tried to cash in on that life insurance. All $500 of it. <laughs> Finally went to the doctor about 1.30 because I was like, this is not going away. Did all, you know, just no sooner did they have me wired up for, for Wi-Fi. They said, you're having a heart attack right now. Like most men, I would just say, you know what, I'm going to ride this thing out. And guess where I'd be riding? I'd be, I'd be riding the clouds. Here's my point. I thought I felt fine. But in reality, my heart was in crisis. You see, people think all is well as the Laodiceans. But notice something else in the latter portion of verse 53. He says that God actively, God is the one that sends them away. Then I may rattle you a little bit with your concept of God, but it says in verse 53, the latter part that we're looking at, the rich, talking about the self-satisfied, He, God, God has sent away empty. God is not passive here, but He has sent them away. It doesn't say that God ignored the self-satisfied or that He gives them nothing, but it says that He actively sends them away. Because, you see again, those who do not want to come to Him on, the, on His terms, He can't help. He can't help. You come to God on His terms and not your terms. Why would God do this? Doesn't He want everybody to come to Him? In one sense, yes. But in reality, He cannot help those who do not believe they need help. You remember when he said about the doctor, the physician? The physician only comes to those who know they're sick. You see, we have created an entire edifice in primarily in America through the idea of church growth and creating churches that figured out that the way that you grow a church is you find out what are the needs of the people. What do they want in a church? In fact, one of the biggest mega churches of American history in Southern California was started, planted, we sometimes say, or initiated, began, organized, by going door to door under the guise of a survey, knowing the area that they wanted to go to in this particular area of Southern California, they went door to door and began to ask questions. And what do you want, unchurched Frank and Sally? What do you want in a church if you were to come to a church? You can imagine some of the things they said. Well, I want to get out within an hour. All right? A little coffee and cappuccino would be kind of nice. I don't eat breakfast, so maybe you guys can kick in for that. I want to make sure there's a well-staffed nursery. I deal with my kids seven days a week. I, don't, I need a little relief. Now listen, 
lot of that isn't bad. Don't, we don't act super spiritual. All right? You like air conditioning. You like nice seats. You like knowing your children are... Listen, let's don't act holier than thou. I'm not talking about that. My point is, is there's been a mindset where we've started with what is the needs and wants of the consumer versus what does God determine that how we should gather and meet for Him. And so what we end up doing is we have a consumer-driven church where people are going based on what is in it for me. Then what is really, why are we gathered and what is even a church body supposed to look like? I point that out to say that we have fostered a mindset that you come to God and you listen to the bargain that He's going to make with you. And if you don't like the bargain, you go and move, and move on and find somebody else. That's not the way that God operates. The Bible says very clearly that God sent them away. The, the, the full of themselves is what we could say. The ones who had no sense that they were needy before Him. God sent them away. You know, sometimes God won't coddle you in your sin and disobedience. At least he doesn't with me. You know, three or four times in Romans chapter 1, it says that God actively, it says of those who were rejectors of God, sinful humanity that refused to, to know and or at least to be hungry to know the truth about their Creator. The Bible says in Romans 1, three or four different times, and God gave them over. God gave them up. God is a God of great mercy. God is a God of, a God of great grace. But there comes a point in which the self-satisfied there reaches a point where God says, I can't do anything for you. You don't need me. James 4.6 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Scripture I quoted poorly earlier, Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people do not need a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Jesus says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous or that those who are filled think they are filled, but to those who know that they are sinners. And last is that God sends them away empty-handed. And the rich He has sent away empty Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, He said, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and yet lose your very soul? You see, to be empty-handed in the riches of God is to be with nothing. To have nothing. It's worthless 
wages that we have earned in this world thinking that this is what's going to satisfy and secure my life when the day is done and our last breath is drawn and we realize that everything that we have invested and hoping the scales would be tipped a little further this way because of all the investment I made in my own self, my own life, my own sense of worth and self-justification ends up being worthless. It's worthless currency. I came across this picture, put it on the screen. I don't know if you can see that very well. It's a, it's a, it's a street in somewhere in Venezuela, and all that trash you see is Venezuelan currency. Because about 2018, there, I lived in Venezuela for over a year. My father worked down there. And Venezuela used to be one of the thriving democracies in the Western Hemisphere. They were one of the first members of OPEC. They had rich oil reserves. They were a, one of the few uh, Latin American countries that had a true growing middle class. And if you know anything about Latin American history, that's, that's a rarity. They, and they welcomed industry and businesses but then they took a little exit called socialism. And that country has been absolutely destroyed. So, when you have this enormous debt and your currency is worthless, hey, here's an idea. Let's just print different kind of money and start over. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? So all that you see here was all the dollars, all the bolivars, as they call it, of the old currency that with the stroke of, a, of, a, of midnight became trash. Didn't matter whether you had a huge savings or not. And look at it, it's all just thrown as garbage in the street. You know, what a picture when you compare the earthly currency with kingdom currency. When you compare it with kingdom currency, you see, because kingdom currency, kingdom of God currency, is valued on a different scale than we do here on earth. You see, earthly currency of what we earn, what we attain, our self-satisfaction, you see, that has no value in the kingdom of God. That could be a street in the, in the kingdom in the New Jerusalem maybe or something where it's just worthless. It's just trash. All that I've done, all that I've accumulated, there it is, just garbage. Kingdom scale of wealth. The kingdom of God's scale of wealth is so different. In fact, it's so different than we on earth. They use gold for asphalt in the New Jerusalem. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, this principle, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, thieves break in and steal. Make investments. Seek first, Jesus said in Matthew 6, that same chapter of 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So what's the solution? How can we avoid having God send us away empty-handed? I like the old evangelist statement D.L. Moody said, listen, 
Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. I don't want to be full of myself. I want to be full of Him and hungry. You know that church at Laodicea that I mentioned earlier in Revelation chapter 3, the same church where he says that you don't realize your real condition is you're, you're, you're poor, wretched. You don't even realize what your situation is. And you think you're, you're rich. You think you're, ha- you think you're wealthy in the, and doing well. But it's that same church that he reveals their true condition. It's that same church that he appeals to them in his mercy and in his grace. When he says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The Lord is knocking today. Knocking on the door of some of you this morning. He said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I, the Lord Jesus says, will come in to him or her. And I will eat with him or her and they with me. You know what is so neat? Is the Lord not only stands at the door and invites to come into your life, but he brings dinner on top of it. Because he wants to fill you with what he has. This morning, Mary is a wonderful reminder, not only this season or any season. You go back to that very beginning when she got the news of what God was going to do. Did she understand it? I don't think so. I don't think she had any concept. But she recognized that God has blessed her. Not because of any innate righteousness of her own self. But He blessed her because she was hungry for Him. Blessed are those, the Bible says, 